and dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are doing a series here called Church Health Matters. We're looking at the book of Corinthians that has some wonderful content about church, about Christ and the church, and what a healthy church is to look like. Uh, theologians point to this book as, as being one of the most um, has, having the most content of ecclesiology, which is the study of the doctrine of the church, right, and how the church is to function. And, and the Apostle Paul addresses a number of issues within this church, and we've titled this series, Church Health Matters, um, highlighting what a healthy church looks like, not because these guys always modeled that. As, as a matter of fact, there are a number of issues that Paul addressed that, that, that weren't healthy, that weren't good, and we learn from them what it looks like to be a healthy church and what we need to be a healthy church. And one of the things that we see throughout this book is the Apostle Paul puts the emphasis on Jesus. He puts the emphasis on the cross, on the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus did in dying for us sinners to rescue us. The Apostle Paul puts the emphasis on love. He gives us a whole chapter. One of the most well-known passages in this book is 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter. And Paul defines and describes what love is and what love is to look like in the life of the church. And these are marks of a healthy church. Those who are gospel-centered, those who are motivated by love, those who are truly led by the Spirit, people of the Spirit. Alright? And so the Apostle Paul is casting vision, vision for what it looks like to be a healthy church. The Apostle Paul is bringing correction to this church that needed correction. And he, as I said last week, he's deflating many of their, their, their egos. Um, in, in, in highlighting, we, we talked about last week about boasting in the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, uh, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we talked about last week how, how God has wired each of us to boast. Isn't that true? That we tend to, to boast about something good that happened to us or something good that's, that's been done. And the Bible directs us to let all our boasting be done in the Lord, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in our weaknesses. And that's what the Apostle Paul, one of the lessons that the Apostle Paul was teaching the Corinthian church. And today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, and we're going to talk about depending upon God's power. And I'm going to pray so I can do that right now before we go any further. Lord, we need you, and we come to your throne of grace this morning, each of us in need of mercy and in need of grace. And I feel that as I have the responsibility to lead and feed and teach your word. And so may I handle your word in a way that brings honor to you that helps your people, that exalts you and edifies your people. May I not lean on my own understanding or my own strength this morning, but may I rely upon your Spirit's power and the, the powerful words that you've given us in Scripture. 
And would you come and move and bring a revival amongst us, bring personal revivals in our hearts, in our lives, in our time with you, in our families, and bring revival to our entire church. May we see a powerful move of your spirit. And may we be moved on to mission. And in, in this season of spring, as people are out, and as we go out, may we carry the powerful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it with confidence, freely with those that we engage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, let me ask you, when was the last time you were in a, a gospel conversation with somebody who was a non-Christian? When was the last time you were engaging in a conversation with somebody who was not a Christian and you started to talk about spiritual things? Can you remember the last time that happened? Just think for a moment. And when was the last time you were in that position or in another situation where, where you consciously, in that moment, started to look to God for wisdom, for strength, and for guidance? You paused and you were like, internally, you're like, God, I need you right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to handle the situation. And what we see in the text today is we see that the Apostle Paul models for us what the Christian life is supposed to look like, what Christian ministry is supposed to look like, namely, independence upon God's power. Not leaning on our own understanding, not looking to our own strength and our own wisdom and wit and human wisdom, worldly wisdom, to try to make things happen. We see the Apostle Paul and how he came to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church, as we have said, was like the Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York of the first century. Okay? It, it, was, it was a very worldly place that valued eloquence of speech, that valued philosophy, wisdom, all right? And, and, and they, were, they were acquainted with and they valued those who could speak well, those who could reason well. They valued, they valued worldly wisdom, as the Apostle Paul calls it. And what we see here, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers, when and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen to that. So here's our big idea. Here's where we're going this morning. The Christian life and message is to be centered on Christ. And marked by simplicity and dependence upon the Holy Spirit's power. The Christian life and message is to be centered on Christ. As we've already talked about in chapter 1, this is one of the root issues 
that, that, that caused the vision within the church was that the, 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 the Corinthian church boasted in men. They were more centered on Paul or Apollos or Cephas. And it caused division amongst them. And Paul directs them to be centered upon Christ and the crucifixion, the gospel, the good news. He gives a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, a whole chapter on the gospel, unpacking and defending the resurrection of Jesus, which, Lord willing, I, I plan for us to be in that chapter to skip ahead on Easter Sunday next month and, and delve into 1 Corinthians 15. What a great passage for Easter. But what a great passage for us. What, what a great uh, a paradigm and passage to have and live our lives through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so Paul, coming to a sophisticated, uh, educated, gifted city, a wealthy port city that had gifted people, he was determined to just simply come and proclaim the message of Christ. Instead of trying to show off, instead of to try, to try to use the methods of that day to try to reach people, he chose just the simplicity of depending upon God and proclaiming the power. Now, one of the things that's unique about this, this, uh, this letter is that we have specific instruction or we have a specific narrative in how the Apostle Paul came. To the Corinthians and how they how the Corinthian church got started in the first place. And so I want to go back. We didn't do this in the first message because I had a long intro already. I'm going to try to keep it shorter today. But we're going to go back to to Acts chapter 18 and look at when Paul came to the Corinthians. And Luke tells this story. He says, after this, Paul left Athens Y'all remember in Athens, they were a very educated people, known for philosophy and deep thought. And there were some people who responded to the gospel message, but there were a lot that didn't. They mocked when the, when the Apostle Paul started talking about the resurrection. And so he moved on. And so when he left Athens and he came and he went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from... Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed there and worked with them and worked, and they were tent makers by trade. So God, God uh, led the Apostle Paul to a precious couple, uh, and, and he was able to uh, work together with them and make tents. In verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. The Messiah was Jesus. And they opposed and reviled him. And he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent. For now I will go to the Gentiles. Now let me just let me just say this here. A couple things about when Paul came to the Corinthians. This was his method. His method when he would go to different cities is he would start in the Jewish synagogue. And he would preach there. Because God had chosen to bring the good news to and through the Jewish people first. To the Jew first. And then also to the Greek. That was just the pattern. 
Remember Acts 1.8 says, You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? And so that was the Apostle Paul's pattern that he was following, that Jesus himself uh, uh, followed himself. And, and he would reason in the synagogue, and, and of course he would reason from the scriptures. He would try to help the Jewish people see that Jesus was the Messiah. This, this Messiah that you've been waiting for, he has come. And he was crucified. And he tried to persuade them. So he did use reason. He, he did use persuasion. Okay? But he was using the, the gospel. His confidence was not in his ability to talk somebody into becoming a Christian. His confidence was in the power of God. The work of the Spirit to open blind eyes. To heal broken hearts. To set captives free. But this was his method. This is how he came. He reasoned. He persuaded. And when, and when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He was occupied with the word and he was testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So that's how he came. And then verse 7, it says, And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And here's the results of when he came to, to the Corinthians. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Amen to that. That's awesome. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Here's what happened when Paul came to the Corinthians. He says he said that he came in weakness and fear and much trembling. And what we see here is that the Lord speaks to Paul. He speaks to his fears in the midst of the mission where Paul was feeling that insecurity. Where Paul was probably feeling the inadequacy and the weakness. And God says, do not be afraid. Why would God say that to the Apostle Paul if he wasn't struggling with fear? Fear is one of the biggest reasons why Christians fail to share the good news with lost people around them. We fear man. We fear rejection. We fear our reputation. And so the Lord says, do not be afraid. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And so Paul stayed there for about a year and six months, ministering to them. The church got started. People came to faith, but they needed a lot of work. They, they needed to grow in grace, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to let the gospel deepen in their lives. They needed, they needed the love of God to heal the broken areas of their hearts in their lives. Can anyone else identify with that? And so here's my first point this morning. First, that Paul trusted that the gospel message was powerful to save. 
He trusted that the gospel message was powerful to save. You see, there's this temptation to try to come up with some clever way to win somebody to Jesus. Let's give them pizza. Let's, let's, let's entertain them. Let's give them some really good music. And I'm not against those. I like to try different things to reach people. Later on, Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might win them to Christ. Right? And so, so Paul adapted to people to where they were at. But Paul's confidence wasn't in these worldly methods and schemes to try to win people over. Paul wasn't a salesman trying to sell something to people that they didn't need or they didn't want. He wasn't trying to talk them into something and give, give, give them a bad deal. He was, he was offering something free that was freely given to him that brought salvation, that brought change, that brought purpose and meaning to his life. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Christianity, speaks to some of life's deepest questions that we have about why we're here, and who we are, and where we're going. And it's a powerful message that Paul had confidence in. When he came to them, he didn't adapt lofty speech or wisdom, worldly wisdom, human wisdom. He decided, he determined to know nothing among them except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. The simple message of the gospel. And again, as I mentioned last week, it wasn't that He was watering down but the message, but this was a distillation of the message. It was a, it was a honing in of the message. As Eugene Peterson said, that if you were to ask Paul, what's the gospel, in two or three words, he would say, Christ crucified. That's what he preached. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here at City Church, that's what we're about. Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. The Messiah who was crucified for us. Knowing who he is and what he's done for us to become his very own people. So he decided to preach with simplicity. Paul trusted that the message of the gospel was powerful. He said in uh, chapter 1, he said, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Isn't that amazing? That God chooses to use the preaching of the good news to save people eternally. That's just, that's profound to me. That, that God brings rescue to people through the preaching of the gospel, through the sharing of the gospel. He said, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. You see, the gospel has power to change people's lives and we must be confident of that. If we're going to share it, if we're going to see people come to faith, we need to share the good news and we've got to have confidence that it's powerful to save. And he reminded the Corinthians that they were saved through this very simple message. This sophisticated city that valued lofty speech and wisdom. He reminded them that not many of them were, were strong and noble and wise when God called them. The opposite. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And 
the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And, and so, so Paul was helping deflate the Corinthians' ego, those who were puffed up with pride, reminding them that their calling was based on grace, not because they were awesome and God needed them on their, his team. And he reminded them that the cross was the only grounds for boasting. That, that, that we are to boast only in the Lord. That, that we are Christians. First, First Corinthians 1.30 We are because of Him. You are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us, became for us redemption, wisdom, sanctification, righteousness. Jesus became for us all these things and we're Christians today. Those of us who are believers in Christ and know Jesus. Because of him, because of his work, he's brought salvation. Paul also acknowledged that he came with weakness and fear. Now, I love this. Because I think we can all identify when it comes to trying to share the good news with, with people. We, we feel that inadequacy and we feel that weakness. We feel that intimidation. Our heart starts beating. When we're sensing the Spirit leading us to share the good news with someone... And like we know we're supposed to go talk to that person. What happens? Your heart starts beating fast and you have that moment that you have to like press through and not let the fear control you and paralyze you. You have to move forward and step out. And oftentimes when I've done this, I feel foolish. I feel I, I feel foolish. Or it's, it's, it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. Rarely is it comfortable. To start talking to a stranger or even a neighbor or a friend or a family member uh, about the spiritual things when I know there's some resistance to them. Or I, I sense that there's resistance to them. It's uncomfortable. And Paul acknowledged that he had, that he came with these weaknesses. You see, this is countercultural to what the Corinthians were brought up in. They were brought up in show your strength, put your best foot forward speak good know what you're talking about entertain and dazzle people with presence you see that the, the Christian culture valued that whether you had content in your message or not you got to present yourself with presence and hold people's attention I mean how many of y'all have experienced when you're either on social media or on TV we're at the power of advertisement just keeps your attention and you just sit there and you continue to watch and you continue to listen. And, and you've had that moment where you realize, like, where's the, what's the what are they even saying? Are they saying anything at all? News, news media as well. And we just sit there, but it, it's, it's, there's kind of the same thing said in different ways with very little content. Right. But it keeps our attention. And Paul wasn't going to adapt those methods, he had a message with content, with power to change people's lives. He had a message that would nourish people. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified. And he came acknowledging because he was secure in his identity in Christ, because he knew who he was. And he knew what his mission was and his confidence wasn't in himself wasn't in worldly wisdom and worldly methods to advance the mission, he was able to acknowledge his weaknesses. 
How do you address your weaknesses? How do you address your weaknesses? Our tendency is to cover them, isn't it? To cover our weaknesses. But, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he boasted in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest upon him. Right? You see, this was totally countercultural to, to what the Corinthians thought about presenting yourself and, 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 and leading leadership. This would not be in the top leadership, uh, it's probably not in, in the top leadership books of our day. Acknowledge your weakness, embrace your, your weakness, let people see your weakness. You see, Paul could do this because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about making a name for himself. It wasn't, it wasn't about glorifying himself. It wasn't about wowing his audience with his, with his uh, speaking skills or his knowledge. And, and Paul was a sharp guy. He was an educated guy. He was a gifted guy. God worked through him supernaturally. Miracles occurred through him. The Spirit moved powerfully through him. But his, his, his trust and his hope was not in himself. The Bible in, in 1 Peter 4 tells us when it talks about the use of our spiritual gifts, it says, let him who serves, serve in the ability that God supplies. Let him who, speak, who speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. So if, you're, if, you're gifting is, if your strength or gifting is speech, speaking in the body of Christ, Speak God's words, because they're most powerful. If, you're, if your gifting is service-oriented within the body of Christ, do so in the strength that God supplies, so that in all things, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. And we see Paul modeling that. He, as Gordon Fee says, that the, the recap of Paul coming to the Corinthians was to function as a, quote, paradigm for understanding Christian ministry for, for, the, for understanding of Christian ministry this is a paradigm this is what Christian, this is how Christians are to operate in the wisdom of God amen and so simply share the message of the gospel you don't have to know all the answers to share the gospel message with people. You don't have to know all the answers. You can acknowledge your weakness. You can acknowledge that you don't know it all. As, as uh, Billy Graham said, I don't know all the answers, but I know him who does. You see, we know Jesus, and we can share from what we know about Jesus. We can share the good news. We can share that Jesus suffered and he died for our sins. You don't have to be a dynamic speaker to share the gospel with people. You don't have to exhibit great strength and confidence to share the gospel. Just share independence upon the Spirit and His power. You don't have to have a PowerPoint to share the gospel with people. And actually, I noticed that part of my PowerPoint is missing here. And so I'm going to depend upon the Spirit for, 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 my last, for, for the last section. I have some quotes in here. Actually, I have, thankfully, I printed 
these up. So I'm going to depend upon what's written here, actually. Um, Paul depended upon, Paul aimed for their faith to be in, in God's power, not in the wisdom of men. Verse 5. Paul said that he did, the way that he approached and he came to the Corinthians when, in weakness and fear and, and determined to just preach Christ and Him crucified, he did that so that their faith wouldn't be in Him or the wisdom of men, so that their faith would be in the power of God. But in demonstration of the Spirit's power. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to testify of Jesus. To witness. To share the good news. The Holy Spirit works through insecure, weak, fearful people and makes them bold to share the good news. Isn't that amazing that God's strength fits perfect in our weakness. That's so refreshing to me as a leader. That, that I don't have to have, have it all together to lead people. I can trust in God's power, depend upon Him, look to Him. His message is powerful. His Spirit gives power. His wisdom is greater and better than what I can come up with. As Isaiah said, His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. They're higher. And the Holy Spirit, he goes on in the rest of chapter 2, he says that the Holy Spirit imparts that wisdom. He reveals that wisdom. And what we see in the, in the Gospel of John is that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin. John 16, 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will know and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit works to expose lies and lead into the truth. John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. And he will declare to you the things to come. We see the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Jesus. John 16, 14. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. When Francis Schaeffer was struggling with disillusionment about as, as a Christian, he asked his wife one day, he said, I wonder, Edith, I wonder what would happen if most churches and Christian work, if we awaken tomorrow and everything concerning the reality and the work of the Holy Spirit, everything concerning prayer, were removed from the Bible. I don't just mean ignored, but actually cut out, disappeared. I wonder how much difference it would make. We concluded it would not make much of a difference in many board meetings committee meetings and decisions and in, in activities. As you live your life as a Christian, how dependent upon are you upon the Spirit's work and in, in leading in your life? And in, in prayer. Resting on God. Trusting in God for power. This is how the Christian life is to be lived in faith. Faith to faith. 
We put our trust in Him. When Paul refers to the words of eloquent wisdom, as one writer says, lofty speech and wisdom, plausible words, he has in mind the arts of classic rhetoric. Rhetoric was the basic basis of education and the credibility in Paul's world. It was the social dividing line between the leisured upper class of smart, cool people, and the working lower class of simple, ordinary people. Not all rhetoric was sophistry, but audiences did applaud the clever use of argumentation so that a weak position could win over a stronger one. They respected the display of intellectual sophistication and wit. It was how the gears of persuasion were lubricated. Rhetorical polish got a man's name in light, and the Corinthian church had no problem with it. And we see Paul deciding to come and preach Christ and Him crucified. To put the spotlight on Him. Another author, Ray Ortland, says, Remove wonder-working power from Christianity, and what do you have left? Religious franchises managing community service programs? But is that what we read about in the book of Acts? Biblical Christianity in the world today is an ongoing miracle of God's gracious power. And if that is so, and it is, then Christian preaching can and must be in divine power. Amen? And so let me, let me close with just a couple points of application here. First, be intentional about simply sharing the gospel message with others. Be intentional. And so in this season, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be intentional, to, to aim to share with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends. We're going to have an Easter service here next month, Lord willing, and, and, and Lord willing, an Easter outreach, a Good Friday service uh, in the park. And we'll have more details about that to come. But you can invite neighbors and friends to that, and you can share the good news. And one of the ways that I do that when I, when I engage with, with a stranger or a neighbor um, is I'll ask, hey, how can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you about? A, a waitress or a waiter, when you go and grab lunch today after church, and you have a, a, somebody at the cashier or a waiter or a waitress, I want to challenge you to ask them, how can I pray for you? And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how people will open up to you and, and share struggles. And, and, and you may have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, or you may have an opportunity to invite them to church, or you may have an opportunity to grab coffee with them so that you can develop that relationship. And so let us be intentional about sharing the simple message of the gospel. We don't have to complicate it. We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to be the best speaker, the most dynamic of speakers. And so that frees us up. That frees us up when we when, when our confidence is in the gospel of grace and not in, in our not in our own understanding, not in our own power. And next, avoid being intimidated or depressed by your own sense of ordinary ordinariness, inadequacy, and unimpressiveness. Don't be intimidated. Don't be discouraged, depressed. 
God has a pattern of using ordinary people, weak people in the Bible. I had a, I had a slide up here with a picture of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who she can't move her limbs. And God works through her weaknesses to share the gospel with people. I had a picture up here of Nick Buchik, who has no arms and no legs. No arms and no legs. And yet he's sharing the gospel with thousands of people. I mean, just think about folks like Gideon. Samson. Think about folks like Moses, who didn't feel confident in his speech, or, or Jeremiah, who was a youth. Or Think about Peter and the disciples, who were uneducated, untrained men who had just been with Jesus, and God worked through these ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And the reality is, is that God wants to work through you, saints. He wants to work powerfully through you to carry the good news of Jesus to the lost. The Apostle Paul said, woe to me if I don't share the gospel. He, had, he lived with this sense of mission and this sense of obligation like this is what I'm here for. This is the race I'm running and I want to hear from the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so, let's make this a point of prayer. I know, me personally, as I was thinking about this, I was challenged with this. I was planning to just preach through the whole Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter two. But but as I as I think about what God has called us, what He's called me to, and what He's called us to as a church, I I, I, I thought we need to we need to focus in on this and not just pass this up. Okay. We are called to missional living because we have a missional God who sends. He sends us. He commands us to go make disciples, to go testify. Tell your story. Tell God's story and tell God's story through your story. And don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't let fear hold you back. So avoid being intimidated or depressed by your own ordinariness, inadequacy, unimpressiveness. And then trust God's strength that it fits perfect in your weakness. Like a puzzle. It fits perfect. And it just takes us coming to Him in trust. Coming to Him in prayer. Asking for His guidance. Asking for His strength. I'm often amazed when I make myself available how God works through my, my life. As I step out, I, um, Brother Phil here often shares stories in our community group about ways when he steps out as he's jogging at White Rock Lake and he sees people and he just engages in conversations and he shares the gospel with people and he makes himself available to have a gospel conversation with folks. We want to be those when we see God opening a door to share the good news with folks. We want to be those who... Step through that door and not just pass it by. Because God is working. He's at work in people's lives around us. I, I love in Acts 18 how, how the Lord told Paul, don't be afraid, don't be silent, for I have many people in this city. 
It's interesting to note there. God, God was already working on the hearts of a number of people within the Corinthian city that had a reputation for being so immoral and so perverse. And, it, and perhaps that was a part of what was intimidating to the Apostle Paul, going into a large city like that, that had this reputation for immorality, had this reputation for, for sophistication and eloquence and wisdom. But he moved forward. He didn't let his weaknesses, he didn't let his insecurities stop him. He moved forward and allowed God to work through him. What had you allowed your insecurities and fears to stop you from what God has called you to do? Think about that for a moment. What have you allowed your insecurities and fears hinder or stop you from doing what God has called you to do? Brian, you come on up. As we close, I want to invite us to ask the Lord to search us in that particular thing. As we think about our weakness, our insecurities, our struggles, our fears. Let us also think about God's power and His strength that's available to us. As we pray, as we wait, as we put ourselves up. Lord, thank You for these words. Thank You for Your power, Your strength. And Father, I ask that you would move City Church Garland on to mission. I pray that it would truly be a value of ours, that we would not just aspire to missional living, but that we would actually value and live out a life of mission where we're unashamed of the gospel and we're committed passionate about sharing that good news with joy. Free us up, God. Free us up from our insecurities and our fears. Knowing that it's not about us. It's about you. So thank you that you work through weak, broken vessels. Thank you that you've called us into this partnership of advancing the gospel. And may we, in this season, may we effectively do that. May we run with that message. May we apply that message to our lives, to our relationships. Christ, name we pray. Amen.